0: I mean, that's a of music. Another sort of music. KCR FM New York, this is Jazz Alternatives. My name is Mitch Goldman. I'll be with you for the next three hours, and you landed in just the right place where you want to be. We have a special program we do here, sometimes on Monday nights, we call Deep Focus. And uh, what we'll do is we'll have a special guest artist, musician, and choose a topic, Usually, topics another musician who they admire, respect, maybe played with, maybe somebody who shined a light for them. And we find live unreleased recordings of that person and listen to them together. And uh, tonight's matchup is um, one I've really been looking forward to bringing to you for quite a while. If you've been listening to this program for the last few weeks, the last couple of months, really. Um, since Ornette Coleman's passing in June, we have been unearthing live recordings of him. Specifically, we've had a focus on the year of 1978 and looking at as a year that Ornette toured extensively, maybe for the first time with uh, his working band of the previous few years. And uh, one of the astonishing... Um, And jarring things about exploring Ornette Coleman's biography and discography and tourography, to coin a word, is uh, the amazing – there's a lot of aspects. One is the amazing patience that he had and the way that things would unfold over uh, a long period of time, over a period of years sometimes. And what emerged was wildly different from anything he or anyone else had done. And uh, this to me is, this year of 1978 is a, is a glowing example of that. I have a feeling that our guest tonight will agree. His name is Melvin Gibbs, fantastic bassist who was a, uh, and, well, I'll let him tell you. He's going to be here really soon. But first, how about a live recording you've never heard of this band, of Ornette Coleman in primetime? How about we get in the WKCR? Wayback Machine, set the dial for Anspach, West Germany, July 18th, 1978, and hear this recording that, as far as I know, has never been broadcast in this country. Sounds like a good idea. Live music from Ornette Coleman. Coming up, our guest, Melvin Gibbs, will be here in just a bit. It's WKCR. We'll West Germany. The date is July 18th, 1978. Music from Ornette Coleman. Now, before you start scratching your head or anything, I want to introduce our guest tonight for this uh, fabulous rare episode of Deep Focus, Melvin Gibbs. Welcome back to the studios of WKCR.
1: Uh, thank you, Mitch. It's great to be here. Great to hear this music.
0: It is, man. It is. It is. We have so much to talk about. Yes, we do. <laughs> um, we were just talking about the fact that uh, nothing else sounds like this band.
1: No, it's pretty amazing. It's just like it's its own planet, and even in the context of the time, and listening to it now, it's still nothing sounds like it. it's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, it and it's still you know, I was thinking about uh, this and. I, Eric Person was here two weeks ago, and we were listening to some music from the same period and talking about it. And one of the things... I might have said this a couple of weeks ago. So if you're a really dedicated listener, (laughs) don't worry, Melvin's going to have a different response than Eric had. Um, When when Ornette died, and there was a really terrific outpouring of adulation for him and acknowledgement of what he achieved, but I kind of found that... uh, most of it focused on the earlier stuff, which is a lot easier to talk about, and it's a great. It's a. I mean, it's a movie waiting to be done about you know this guy just emerges on the scene. You'd have to find a way to explain the context of the music, and of course, there's nobody who could play those parts. But other than that, it's a movie, and um, this period got almost no discussion. And to me, I listened. Uh, they're they're both equally creative expressions of ornette's art but you know we listen to that stuff from the 50s 60s and it sounds so joyous and melodic and you know it's almost kind of hard to imagine that it was so arresting to people but this still sounds like you know the jagged edges are are right there but it also has that beauty to it and uh i don't know i think i i don't think people have gotten inside of it the way they have some other stuff that he did.
1: No, I think uh, people would think it's hard to digest. I mean, the quartet, you know, the early stuff, it's a very basic kind of sound. Simpler in a way, you know, the melodies. Obviously, he's got all those classic melodies from the early days. and this one, he's got as many classic melodies, but there's so many layers going on and the way the stuff is interacting really requires you to uh, interface with it and buy into it in a certain kind of way that people yep. don't really see themselves doing, I don't think. I mean, I was listening to the One Piece, and I guess at his most experimental, Captain B fart kind of started. That would, hit, Captain B part at his most experimental would be where this starts, and then you <laughs> go on from there. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and
0: I think Captain Beefheart would be very flattered by that comparison.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, you know, I mean, the thing is, is that as far as 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 I know, he he did all the uh, he basically told everybody what to play, right? Whereas Arnett is c- kind of letting everybody.
0: Tells everybody what not to play.
1: Pretty much, or <laughs> kind of gives you some suggestions of a direction, but he it's more like he sets up a field and people interact in between the, in the field, and that's what makes it interesting. And the whole way that the pieces interact and then Ornette, the pieces is really like a few different levels because there's the individuals and then there's the interacting pieces and then there's Ornette's contribution to this interaction. It's really, it's, you know, its it's like some emergent life form. You know, you yeah. have this thing and it just thing kind of just comes and it has something to do with music that people think about, but it, it's its own thought process. It's really amazing.
0: Maybe you can, uh, we should set a l- little ground level for some people who are trying to get inside of it and trying to find a way in. And maybe you could talk a little bit about who's in the band and how maybe we can get into a little bit about how the pieces fit together.
1: All right. Uh, well, the band is a version of the band that he had at that time. It's you know Ronald Shannon Jackson on drums, who you know, I played with for many years. Um, Burn Nix, who's actually the person who introduced me to uh, Shannon and to a large extent introduced me to this music. Um, Denardo's also playing drums on there. Uh, one of the other people who really introduced me to this music is playing guitar on there. which is James Blood Ulmer. I had a good friend from the early days who passed a long time ago named Alfonia Timms and Alfonia actually played in Blood's band for a while. And Alfonia was one who brought me by Blood's Loft and introduced me to those guys that set of guys, which is funny because I would have met them through another context anyway because soon after he oh, did, introduced me to Blood, I started playing with Rashid Ali. And they were both down in Soho at that time and they used to hang out at each, other, each other's lofts. So if you saw one, you would see the other one. So that was my intro to that whole crew. And then it was a bass player named Fred Thomas who I didn't really know that well. I'd heard him a couple of times and I've heard him on recordings, but it's very really unique kind of you know, reminds me of me, I have to say. It's a really different <laughs> way of thinking about the music. You know, and it's kind of, I guess, you know, when you're trying to equate how to go through it to certain things, you're going, okay, I can try this. And I'm hearing like, okay, I would have tried that. <laughs> and it really becomes a question of building off of what Ornette is giving you. I mean, the music is called harm because you're building around a melody. People think about Ornette's music being free jazz. It's not actually... Free. There's a system, and the system is that you're playing melodically off of the information that our lays out, and but there's a lot of freedom within that information. The freedom is is how far you can expand that information and still relate to it, and uh, I I mean just on a level of description on the level of process it is really quite. It is really a question of digging into those melodies as a musician and expanding them out on the level, level of a listener it's a level it's a question of acceptance it's like thinking more like okay I'm going to have this experience and this experience is going to take a while and I'm going to ride with it and when you do that you get something totally different out of the music where if you're listening for okay, there's a melody, there's a climax, there's this or that. It's like everything is happening on a kind of micro level. It's more like, like, like I said before, it's more like it's emergent. It's like watching cells expand and contract, and that's, that's kind of more how you have to relate to it when you're listening to it.
0: You remember hearing this for the first time? No, I mean, not this recording, but hearing this music and this, this ensemble?
1: Well, I remember hearing, I mean, I heard it, but I remember I didn't really hear it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, because you hear different versions of it. I mean, I remember when I kind of, gro- you know, when I kind of grokked what primetime was about as opposed to listening to it. I mean, I understood the music on an intellectual and on a musical level, but understanding what the message of it was, was out in Ann Arbor, They we went out there for a little tour with the first president of the calling society which was uh shannon Jackson, myself running reed and Byron lancaster and primetime was playing on the day before so the day after us in ann arbor and i went and saw them and i remember the band started playing without ornette and they played without ornette for a long time and they played all of that crazy stuff that quote unquote and then ornette started playing and what ornette played fit perfectly melodically on top of the crazy thing they were doing. So within all of these things that sounded like five different guys playing whatever they wanted, there was actually a musical system that Arnett was playing to as if he was playing to changes. And that's when I really kind of got that, okay, there's really, uh, there is really a melodic system built into this. And what is what the information or get ornette gives you to play as a musician has a direct relation to what he's actually hearing as as a musician, and a direct relation to how he wants to relate to the musical forms he came up with. And that's when I kind of really got that. Okay, this combination that he's putting together, he's really playing with it like it was blues changes, except it's ornette changes.
0: (laughs) And so now. Uh, what kind of, how is that information conveyed? I mean, if it's not A flat, you know, E minor, what kind of, uh, or Lydian or whatever, I mean, how is it, uh, what's the vehicle for for this information?
1: Well, like I said, the vehicle is the the melody itself, the relation between the notes of the melody, the relationship, how the, what, the kind of classic suggestions of what the chords would be and how you relate to those classic suggestions. I mean, the melody is a melody, like you know, theme for a symphony or whatever. You you hear that thing and it's like, okay, suggests a certain inherent set of notes. But then how you relate to that inherent set of notes determines what you're going to do with it. And once you start thinking about how those notes to relate to each other, that's when you start to get like, okay, you know, then it becomes like. Uh, a network, you know, it's kind of like if you looked at, you know, if you plugged five telephones together and had to make a call, you know, yeah, <laughs> what what would happen, you know, <laughs> what information would get through on each different phone? It's, I mean, that's that's not really a good explanation. It's more like if you had a. I don't know. This one is kind of this is a bad analogy. I mean, This is border. No, I I I have the correct analogy, but it's it's borderline. Like you know, it's definitely not safe for work. (laughs)
0: Okay, well, well, you know, another. There's so many like just brain exploding. Yeah, I'm trying to to think. Well, when you think about it, I was going to say the the fact that for decades mm -hmm. he was supposedly writing the book yeah. of hormelotics and it was was it just like this cosmic joke that that would ever come to be i mean i don't know if anybody really expected that it was gonna exist maybe it does maybe it's gonna be
1: well, i don't know I'm, I'm sure if you sat every person who's talked about harmonics with net down and asked them what harmonics is everyone would tell you something different yeah yeah like blood has his thing that he thinks it is you know Byrne has his thing that he told me it is. Shannon has his thing he told me it is. You know, Charles Moffat had his thing he told me it was. I have my thing I think it is.
0: (laughs) Do we know when he came up with that?
1: (laughs) I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, obviously, I would say he came up with it, you know, before the first record. So we're talking mid-50s at that point, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah. yeah. And it's funny, you know, for our generation, he was part of the firmament. You know, I mean, he was he was always there, you yes. know, always been there. Exactly. And uh, now, had you, and do you remember uh, meeting him for the first time? Did, did oh, you- I remember that very well.
1: Uh, this, is, this is a story I've told a few times. I've met him through Alfonia. And uh, Alfonia was kind of, uh, you know, cryptic about it. He was like, yeah, we're going to, I'm like, okay, we've had Alfonia, had a band that was me, him, and this uh, Turkish drummer. And really great drummer. And we had a couple of rehearsals, and one day he was kinda like, okay, yeah, okay, next rehearsal is gonna be in Soho. I'm like, okay, where? It's like, oh, on Prince Street. I'm like, okay, great. So I'm kinda like, I didn't even quite put two and two together at that point, so we go there. What
0: year are we talking, maybe?
1: This was 79? yeah this was around all the time I met all of those guys so I'd already met yeah I was already playing with Shannon so it's 79 all right and uh so we get there and you know it's our Nets loft and the stuff is set up and then you know I, I got my bass I walk in and there he is and then we go to rehearsal. And it turns out rehearsal was in fact basically a command performance for Annette. It's basically the three of us played, and Annette sat there the whole time and stared at us.
0: Wow! <laughs> did he did he speak?
1: Well, when we finally hit the bang, <laughs> the, <laughs> the first thing out of her mouth, mouth was, "Melvin, where did you learn how to play like that?" Hmm. And I clicked and I thought about it. I was kinda like yeah, this is just how I play. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's just what I do, you know. It's nothing really, you know. It's just what I how I relate to the instrument. And, you know, I did a few things with you know, around Ornette and with Ornette, but that was literally the only musical thing he said to me. It was never like, Okay, that was it, you know? Yeah. And so you know, I would rehearse with them. He had these different singers that he would uh, kind of sponsor and write music for. Uh, what were their names? Roberta? I think, who did a record with Jamal and Charlie and all and, and those guys. Maybe her last name was Bomb, Roberta Bomb. And then Mari was the other one uh, that basically we would go to loft and rehearse and they would sing these songs that he wrote. But it would be the classic like eight hours up in Arnett's loft, like playing these songs and we just go over and them and jam and you know, had a great time. Like I said, one of the uh different drummers I played with 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 Sean's dad with Charles Moffitt. I played with uh maybe Kamal, who mm-hmm. you know, we played I think who was who was in prime time for a while. I think Kamal did some of the stuff. Um Uh, I think those were the two. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, well, I think those were the two. It Was either Charles' dad or Kamal would be the drummer, and me, Brandon, Ross played a couple of times. Uh, Burn played Nicks, different people like that. We play, and we would just go through the music, and he would kind of walk us through. You know, it was like harmonic training course. You know,
0: <laughs> harmonic Har- high school.
1: Harmonic high school. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs>
0: Wow, let's why don't we uh, listen to the rest of that Anspach yes. recording, and uh, we'll I want to hear some more about your your travels within and without. Sounds great. And uh, so we are. This is this is really exciting for me. I hope you're enjoying it too. You're listening to WKCR. I'm Mitch Goldman. We call this program Deep Focus. Melvin Gibbs is our guest tonight, and we are drilling into the molten core of the earth and finding Ornette Coleman waiting for us when we get there. And uh, this is a recording of his band, Primetime. Um, As Melvin told you, it's uh, Ornette. And we've heard Ornette on alto saxophone and trumpet and violin. He's uh, playing them all prolifically tonight. And uh, the guitars of Bern Nix and James Blood Omer, Fred Williams on the bass, DeNardo Coleman and Ronald Shannon Jackson playing the drums. We heard Dream Talking and Macho Woman from the album Body Meta, which they recorded around that time. And um, there's one more piece we have from this set. It's in Ansbach, West Germany, at a venue called the Orangerie. And um, one of the really great things about listening to these recordings is I we've Unearthed these uh, just from this one year of 1978 festival recordings, uh, nightclub recordings. This place, the Orangery, was um, a palace from like the 18th century, and it's, it's a beautiful place. And in fact, this recording, they did an audio recording and a video recording, and it's up on YouTube. <laughs> so you can play along at home, folks, yeah. and um, have the experience of seeing what these guys look like. But it's if you're having a tough time with it, it's not going to make it any easier. <laughs> but but if you pour yourself into it, you will uh, you will find jewels there. Yes, most definitely, most assuredly. So let's go back to Ansbach, West Germany, because the wall was still up at that time. And uh, this is really a treat. This is other than. YouTube has never been commercially released, and uh, it's not something you're going to find available for sale or anything. It's something that uh, we have in the KCR archive. So enjoy WKCR. might Have been billed as Ornette Coleman's Sextet. We know them as Primetime, but a lot of the stuff, these European recordings, is listed as Ornette Coleman's Sextet. Either way, um, you're listening to WKCR. That was a live recording from Ansbach, West Germany, July 18th, 1978, one of a number of recordings of this band from '78. And uh, we're listening to it tonight in the program we call Deep Focus, and uh, we are zoning in on Ornette Coleman at this time with our guest, Melvin Gibbs, in the studio.
2: Hey.
1: Zoning in on Ornette. You know, it's pretty great, you know. I'm sure some people in the audience were kind of like, what the heck? Vernon Reed calls this kind of music, is that music music? Because you're listening (laughs) to it and you ask yourself, is that music? Yes, it's definitely music.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes. That's, uh, yeah, that, and that piece is, uh, kind of this other aspect of ornettes that we know from a number of pieces, those sweet melodic, uh, you know, it's funny. He's got this great, he's one of the master melodists of, you know, back to Mozart wherever you want to go with it he stands tall with all of them um but it's never like saccharine emotionalism it's just uh really comes across as something from the heart and uh with that the abstraction that this band brings to it it's it's uh powerful stuff
1: yeah it's great it's definitely you know put you in mind you know you start seeing paintings in your head feel like a moma or something you know listening to this music it's pretty amazing that the translation it's like then you think about the connection between you know the different kinds of creativity and how you think of a certain kind of visual abstraction versus a sonic abstraction and you know it becomes a interesting kind of crossover you know because a lot of times uh you know, people are inspired by paintings. A lot of musicians are inspired by paintings, but that thing was a you know a sonic painting. It was yeah. it was very you know sort of like solid substance that came out of sound. You know, it's it a different way of you know it was, for me is was always a different kind of aesthetic experience listening to the when Ornette did those kind of things with that band.
0: And he, he was – another thing that comes to mind, the loss of him as a presence in New York and in the world. He was such a magnet for artists, for thinkers, for people. People were drawn to him who were trying to do something in a new original way and shift people's thinking. And a lot of these people uh, became uh, – friends and devotees and you'd see them at concerts, you'd see them we saw a lot of them at the memorial service and uh, thinking about the fact that Ornette lived to 85 probably a lot of these great minds that were his contemporaries he outlived but you know you think of Buckminster Fuller, you think of all these people that he writers too especially that uh, found inspiration in his work and uh, painters and it was uh, it was definitely a New York thing, but um, you saw him on the road. You probably had that experience. I used to have that experience with Shannon too, um, but uh, Shannon, I mean, they're different people. Obviously, mm-hmm. Ronald Shannon Jackson, the drummer on this recording, um, but he didn't he didn't open the door necessarily. To people, you kind of had to bash through the door a little bit with him. Um, Ornette just had this presence about him that that those kinds of people were were beckoned.
1: Yes, and he was also very supportive of you know people who he saw had a certain kind of mindset, or people who didn't, who had the potential of having that mindset. You know, you know whether it was like Alfonso or me, or you know, I can think of twenty other people. I mean. It's funny, Donato at the memorial was talking about it became his, that Ornette had such an open door policy that there would always be people crashing at the house and it became his job to like tell people, nah, you can't stay here anymore. That kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I,
0: I I could easily imagine that. Mm. I could easily see that. It was funny also, um, I was in London with him when they did the meltdown and the way that people came out this and this kind of unspoken... Spirit of this gathering, and you could see echoes back to you know '60s London and '50s and and the personalities and the characters and these you know uh, heavy players too in media and arts and and he was he was he was an icon in a way you know people throw these words around but he had that status for people who were
1: yeah he's on a lot of levels I mean he was you know the center a node of a network of people and a lot of stuff happened basically because he existed there's the stuff that he made happen and there's the stuff that happened because he existed as a person and both of those things are going to be lost now you know Uh, i'm hoping you know that i'm actually hoping is not the right word i'm expectant and interested to see how uh, Donato's going to bring forward the legacy, what he's going to do with the music, uh, how he's going to curate the future of 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 that idea that his dad brought to the world on both sides on the, the idea of his dad's music and the idea of this network that got created around you know that the thing that his dad represented. I'm really interested to see how that's going to how that's going to progress now that Donato's responsible for it.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I get the sense there's recordings that maybe haven't been uh, brought <laughs> to the world yet.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's stuff, and I'm sure there's tons of music that people didn't get to hear that are in the archives that can be explored by different people. There's a lot of ways the thing can go. And, I mean,
0: just, you know, it's it's funny when you hear people play music directly inspired by ornette maybe playing his compositions or something that's obviously you know wouldn't exist without it, his influence and you can't help but compare it and that that warmth and sweetness and openness that's part of his sound nobody else quite has that
1: no i mean that's the thing of him as a person that comes through you know and that's the thing that I mean, that is the part that's the loss because you're not going to, no one's going to reproduce that. I mean, there are some people, you know, in the circle that kind of have the vibe because you couldn't do that for a long period of time without absorbing the thought process behind what makes it work. But that particular combination of, you know, sort of human kindness and uh, exploratory thought is, it was rare even for the, you know. Even for the 60s and 70s, it was right. Really-
0: yeah. yeah. August 17th, 2015. That is part one of three parts of this deep focus on the subject of Ornette Coleman. My guest, Melvin Gibbs. And 2015, June of 2015, was when we lost Ornette. So this is right in the wake of that. And I'm just so appreciative of Melvin Gibbs's insight and generosity with his thoughts, and and how particular he is, how thoughtful he is, and detailed and specific in what he says here. And not to mention his firsthand experience of Ornette's music and his teaching. This is uh, invaluable, I think. So it's one of three parts. You'll find the other two, you know, if you subscribe Yeah, I'm not going to bug you to death with emails or anything, never going to ask you for money. Um, You're just going to get notified when a new episode gets posted. You get access to literally hundreds of episodes and uh, yeah, you're you're part of the team. And if you just give us a like or tell a few friends or put it up on your socials or uh, make a little comment, it makes... An enormous difference. It really does. We really appreciate hearing from you and knowing that people are interested in what's going on here. And uh, especially those likes and thumbs up and five stars, that helps people who've never heard this show find out that it exists. Because a lot of people don't know. So um, you can find us. where on your favorite podcasting app. Maybe you're listening on your phone right now. You can always find us at the hosting site is mitchgoldman.podbean.com. All right, I will see you over at part two. Once again, it's August 17th, 2015, Melvin Gibbs and Ornette Coleman. But you know that. You just listen to the whole thing. All right, I'll see you over there.